0: go through Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 through 5, what you begin to see is that this group of people have impeccable lives, this group of people have impeccable service for the Lord Jesus Christ, and as Laodiceans, as believers in the last days, what what we have found is that the things that God says are true of this group of people are things, now listen, that he commands to be true of us. And so what we're doing is, as Laodiceans, we're trying to learn some lessons from this group of people who do the job right. And we saw that there's visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father, as there is to be visible evidence in our life if we know the Lamb and the Father. We saw that there's audible evidence of their connection with the Lamb and His Father, in the same way that there ought to be evidence, uh, audible evidence in the life of those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we've come to this third one on your outline, the fact that there's moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb and His Father. And because, the, because this is, is like one of those things of, of materialism that just has us so entrenched and, and so engulfed and, and, and we're embedded in, 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 in that thing so deeply, what we've done before we get into our, our, our nice alliterated outline as we've been trying to take some time to just just like we did with Colossians three one and two, to let God take out the the spiritual jackhammer and just start breaking away at, at all of this this stuff that has entrapped us down below so that we can 't become what God wants us to become, and so we 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 've been talking about the fact that there are some some Laodicean deceptions that we fall prey to. And the first one is this. The first deception, the first way that we deceive ourselves as, as Laodiceans is we, we tell ourselves that someone who is truly born again can live in sexual sin. And what we've done is we've gone to the Scripture. We found out in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it specifically says, listen to it, that fornicators, adulterers those who are effeminate and or are abusers with mankind, listen, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 says, For this ye know, okay, now this is something that God presumes we know. Listen to what he says. That no whoremonger or fornicator nor unclean person hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, what he does is he begins to list the works of the flesh. He talks about adultery. He talks about fornication. He talks about uncleanness. He talks about lasciviousness. And and he says, now I've told you before, and now I'm telling you again, listen, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God and yet in Laodicea there are people who claim to be born again who commit fornication who commit adultery who commit uncleanness who are effeminate and are just so sure that they're on their way to heaven and I've taken you to those three places so that we understand we're deceiving ourselves because God says you will not do that. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. The second deception that we, we have in Laodicea is we think that because I am, more, I am that I'm morally pure because I don't commit the act of sexual sin. And we went to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 28. And what we find is that Jesus is telling the people that the Pharisees have a type of righteousness. Now listen. They have the kind of righteousness that most Laodiceans have. And Jesus is going to come strongly against it. He says they have an external righteousness. Righteousness. And he says, they've got all kinds of things that they will not do. Oh, they wouldn't commit murder. They wouldn't commit adultery. They wouldn't do any of those heinous things. But you see, while they would not actually commit the act, Jesus says, and you've never really understood that the issue has always been the issue of the heart. And he says, if you have hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Murder. If you have lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And he comes along in in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, and he says of the Pharisees, you're whited sepulchers. That's a grave where they roll the stone over it and they would put this white washing on it so it looks all clean and neat. And he says this, you're whited sepulchers. You give the appearance that you've got everything under control from the outside, but he says, within, on the inside. You're full of dead men's bones. And, And you see, there's some of us here. Oh, I would never commit fornication. Oh, I'd never commit adultery. Oh, I'd never move into anything of uncleanness. While what's inside of us, God looks at and says, you're a fornicator, you're an adulterer, and you're unclean, to be quite honest with you, to lay out a sins, he would say the same thing that he said of the Pharisees. We're whited sepulchers, beautiful on the outside, full of dead men's bones on the inside, and we stink. So we looked at these, these deceptions, and then we began to, to look just last time, and we, we didn't get really too far on this, but what I began to try to get you to see is that the, the Bible assumes God's delivering power from sexual sin through salvation. In other words, when we got saved, God thought, you now silly God, I mean, He thought that maybe this, this salvation that was imparted to us when we were born again, God thought that that would do the trick when it came to sexual sin. And we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And what we saw is that God goes through the list of unrighteousnesses again. And here he goes. He's talking about fornicators. He's talking about adulterers. He's talking about those who are, are effeminate. And he says, and such were some of you. It's, it's, it's past tense. You were delivered from that. You were saved out of that. And the verse goes on. Listen. And he says, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart from that and set apart unto God. And he says, you've been justified in the name of Christ. You see, that's what salvation did. It washed us. It set us apart from all of that stuff that we used to be involved in, the fornication, the adultery, the effeminacy. It set us apart from that, and it justified us. He gave us a position to where we're just as if we'd never sinned. That was what salvation did. And he, he, he so thought that our salvation would remove us from that fornication that he comes along in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, and he says, now listen, if there's somebody in your midst who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ they call themselves a brother or a sister and they're involved in fornication he says i'm telling do not fellowship with them oh, how rude i mean not fellowship with someone aren't we aren't we supposed to love them yeah love them but don't fellowship with them well why listen because we're here to reach the world and the world needs to know that believers in Jesus Christ one of the characteristics of their life is not fornication and you see when we're so accepting of people who live their lives in fornication the world looks at it and says why would I want any part of what they've got because it hadn't done anything for them and we went to Romans chapter 6 and, and, and verse 17 and 18. And, and he says, but God be thanked. You were the servants of sin. But he says, now that you believed, listen, you've been made free from sin. And now you've become the servants of righteousness. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, he adds, and now you have the fruit unto holiness. And what I'm trying to get you to see... You know what, the reason I'm going through all this, okay, I know I'm the big review guy. You know what? What we need is, is just massive doses of the Word of God when it comes to this area to just jolt our mind and get us to where we cannot. No, because we've done this for years, y'all. We sat in here and done the little church game and walked right out to go think the same thoughts and do the same things week after week after week after week. And so something's going to have to take root here. The Word of God is going to somehow ha- have to, to jolt us in, in our thinking to where we understand just how, how heinous, how, how detestable, how abhorrent this thing is to God, how cursed it is to God. You remember a few weeks ago we, we were in communion? We're, we're coming through and we're talking about First John chapter 1 and verse 9 where it talks about if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you remember what we talked about? We talked about that we're real good at admitting to God that we've sinned. We got that part of the confession down. And we'll very readily admit to God that we've sinned. You know why? Because we don't like the feeling of guilt that we have because of the things that we think, the things that we click on. The things that we put into our VCR, and in some cases, the things that we're actually doing with our bodies. And we don't want that feeling of guilt, and so we very readily admit to God, God, I admit, I did things, I thought things, I said things, I listened to things that I shouldn't have listened to. Do you remember the rest of it? And be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And the reason we don't get cleansed is because though we don't want the feeling of guilt, we don't abhor and detest and think that our sin is a cursed thing upon us. And because we never abhor it, as Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, and we never detest it, we keep confessing the same sin. Over and over and over and over and over so that we don't have to have the feeling of guilt. We did what God said. When the other part of what God said is not just to admit it, but agree with Him about that sin. You come to the place in your life to where you agree with God about that sexual sin to where it becomes detestable to you, to where you abhor it, to where it is a cursed thing to you not something that we flippantly just keep confessing over and over and over again. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he says we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And he said we all, back then, before we got saved, listen, we all had our our conversation in times past fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and he says but that was times past he says now you've been quickened you've been made alive by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done is he's raised you up to live in heavenly places in Christ Jesus you're seated there now and he comes along in in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 and he says now listen listen Walk worthy of that calling. And he goes into the... Here it comes again. He lists the sexual sins and he begins to show us, listen, that was was then. Now we're to walk worthy of the Lord. And he says, put off. Listen, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Put that off. And he says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Folks, most Laodiceans have a superficial holiness. It's an external thing. It's not from within. And you see, that's what Jesus has been after all along. And then next we looked at the fact that for believers to continue in sexual sin, in thought, or deed. And I want to make sure that as we're talking about sexual sin, because now listen, some of us think we're morally pure because we've not done the act when we, we've not considered what goes through our mind and what's going on in our hearts. And I, now, now look at what it says. For believers to continue in sexual sin, whether it be in thought or deed, we saw, first of all, it implies that Satan's power is more powerful than God's. Acts 26:18 says that we would be turned from the power of Satan unto God. That's what salvation was. It turned us from Satan's power to God's power. In Ephesians chapter 9 and verse 11, God says that the, the reason that He saved us is so that all the principalities and powers, that's all of the, the, the demons of the air listen that they might see and know the manifold wisdom of God in the lives of those that comprise His church. And then he follows it up in verse 11. He says, this is the eternal purpose that God purposed in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing that? The reason He saved us, the eternal purpose of God through Christ, was so that in us, the church, the principalities and powers might be able to see and know the manifold wisdom of God because they see what salvation did in us and oh buddy what a statement of God's power Laodicea is not Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says the accuser of our brethren accuses us before our God day and night, day and night. Is that wild, y'all? I'm just telling you, this is why D.L. Moody and others at the turn of the century said, I fear that probably 75% of our church members are not saved. And I'm just telling you, and you begin to see what the Scripture says about this thing of sexual sin, and you begin to understand what's going on in Laodicea. I'm just telling you. Things are born in because they had an emotional bath at the, the conclusion of a service somewhere, but by the Spirit of God, because the eternal purpose of that salvation was to put us on display to the principalities and powers, so God could say, "Check that out." Rather than that. Satan gets in God's face and says, you see, that's what I'm talking about right there. You see, my power is is greater than yours. Let me assure you, it's not in saved people. There's a lot of folks claiming to be Christians that have never been turned from Satan's power to God's. And then we talked about, talk about the fact that for us to continue in sexual sin, whether it be in thought or in action, that what it does is it ineffectualizes the prayer of Jesus on our behalf. And we went to John chapter 17, and here is Jesus praying for us, John 17:20, specifically for us, that we would be set apart, sanctified from the world and worldliness, worldly behavior, that it would... Though we'd live in the world, that it, the world wouldn't live in us. Jesus specifically prayed that. And, and guys, I'm, I'm just telling you, with what we think, what we do in Laodicea, what it does is, is it, it just takes the prayer of Jesus and makes it of, of none effect. What we're saying is I guess Jesus didn't have a real good prayer life because it doesn't work. It hurts to even admit that, doesn't it? it, it let me assure you, Jesus' prayer life works in all of those who are genuinely saved. But there's a lot of people who think they're genuinely saved who aren't. What are you trying to do, man? Get me to doubt my salvation because I got these thoughts going through my head? Yep. Yeah. so that something might jolt in you to say either I need to get saved or I need to get right but for us to continue on in this cesspool of wickedness is so far from anything that the scripture w- would talk about and then here's the third point where we're gonna we're gonna land now please don't pass all of all of that off as, as review because you know what sometimes in the review it comes a little quicker Sometimes the Word of God just starts chipping away at some stuff. Next, it identifies us with the most despicable. And I I tried to find a good word. Despicable doesn't do it. Deplorable doesn't do it. Horrendous doesn't do it. I don't know the word. But it identifies us with the most despicable people in the entire Word of God. And let's let the Word of God begin to go to work in us, y'all. First of all, it identifies us with unsaved Gentiles. And I'd like for you to go to 1 Thessalonians, and I want you oil up your Bible there, because we're going we're to cruise quite rapidly here this morning. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at what he says. <clears throat> For this is the will of God, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that is his body, in sanctification and honor, listen, not in the lust of concupiscence, that's that unbridled, Sensual or sexual desire that I'm talking about that I believe most lay out of seeing Most lay out of seeing men most definitely And as we heard a few weeks ago even lay out of seeing born-again women Not in the lust of concupiscence listen even as the Gentiles Which know not God? Do you see what he's saying? For us to continue in the lust of concupiscence and have all of this stuff in us and in our minds, what he says, that's what the Gentiles do. That's how they think. That has no part in the will of God for anybody who claims to be a child of God. You know why it's so hard for us to figure out where God is and what he wants to do in our lives? It's because we're out of the will of God because of what goes on inside of us that lust of concupiscence this is the will of God even your sanctification that in this body you bring it to the place to where it is a vessel of sanctification and honor but it's not like that body that the gentiles have and if you begin to go through the scripture you have to just jot down the references here it's not on your sheet if you begin to go through the scripture you know what the the scripture refers to as unsaved gentiles you know what some of the the unsaved gentiles are called heathen in Galatians 2.9 Colossians 3.6 children of disobedience Ephesians 2.3 children of wrath 1 John 3.10 children of the devil Matthew 13.38 children of the wicked one Romans 6.17 servants of sin 1 Thessalonians 5.5 children of the night 1 Thessalonians 5.5 again children of the darkness Now listen, does that sound anything like a believer in Jesus Christ? A servant of sin, a heathen, a child of wrath, of disobedience, of the devil, of the wicked one, of sin, of the night, of darkness? And yet, here we are in Laodicea, with vessels not under sanctification and honor, claiming to be a Christian, actively pursuing the will of God for our life when the will of God is clearly that something happened in our minds and in our hearts to clean up that trash. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Listen, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Do you understand? What salvation was supposed to do was, was bring all of that living for lust. It was to bring it to an end so that we could carry out the will of God. That's exactly what Paul was just saying In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Does that sound like your life before you came to Christ? He says that's the way it was when you worked the will of the Gentiles. That's when you were a heathen. You used to do that but not anymore not now that we're saved we're in verse 4 they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot Do you remember when that happened for you when you used to be living in verse 3 doing all that stuff God redeemed you out you stop doing all of that that stuff and 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 now I mean they're, they're like hey what's up with you how come you don't hang out with us anymore and because you won't... Look at the last part. They, they speak evil of you. And again, what, what he's trying to get us to see is this is characteristic. This, this whole lust life that we live in in Laodicea is characteristic of unsaved Gentiles. Turn over to... Or you're right here. First Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all e- evil speakings. Uh, go Drop down to verse 11. That's where I'm supposed to be. It would be a good thing to do up there, too. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain. Abstain from fleshly lusts, watch this, which war against the soul. You know what happened when you got saved? He redeemed our soul. He saved us. He purified our soul. What we're doing, we don't even realize it. Through the fleshly lust, we bring war into our souls. It goes against everything that He did in our soul when He saved us. Verse 12 having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. You're not a Gentile anymore. You're a redeemed child of God, a child of light, a son and daughter of God. And he says, listen, you can't go back and live like Gentiles anymore we'll skip the first Corinthians 6 for right now we'll come back to it in a minute look over at 2nd Peter chapter 2 watch this watch this war he talks about that these fleshly lusts do what they create in our souls watch this in verse 7 God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, watch this now, Oh, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what? Some of us, Think that we're doing all right in this Christian life because we don't do the unlawful deeds of Sodom and Gomorrah. What it says here is that Lot's righteous soul, and again, that's what God did to your soul when He redeemed it. He made righteousness in your soul. Listen. He vexed his soul by the things that he saw and the things that he heard. Not what he did. Now let that that settle in, Laodicean. Who's justified pornography in your mind because you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh you don't actually carry out the act you know what is so wild the people who claim to be born again hooked on pornography hooked on the internet hooked on the phone where they listen to things that vex their soul and it is so vexed They don't even feel the conviction of the Spirit of God anymore, Christians. Y'all. Some of us in this room, just just listen. To Proverbs six thirty two. We don't have time to turn there. Listen. Are you listening? But whoso committeth adultery with a woman. And again, I want to remind you, amen. Jesus said, Whosoever shall look upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. Listen to the rest of it. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul and what i'm fearing is that we're going to come through all this and we're going to keep trying to rationalize it because we don't abhor it and we don't detest it and so we'll keep rationalize it and some of us are thinking well, oh not me buddy i'd never look at pornography I'd never click on that stuff on the internet. I'd never do any of that. And, and yet, some of you have the, the, the most incredible imagination. You don't need it. And while that's there, you don't understand what's happening. You're destroying your soul that God made righteous. You're vexing your, your soul. We, we talked about this when we were in Revelation chapter 6. The, the, the soul is that body-shaped spirit, if you will, that's in you. What you don't understand is, is what's happening on the inside of you through this type of sin. Is That body is shriveling up to where it is so emaciated and sickly and deadly. Well, on the outside, we're working hard to keep it looking pretty. On the inside, we're a shriveled up, prone looking, detestable, wretched soul. That the day we were born again, God made righteous. Romans chapter 2, verse 24. Just listen to it. It says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And I do mean and me. We were unsaved Gentiles, and salvation brought us out of everything that was characteristic of that life now because we claim to be born again and we still live at least in our minds and our hearts as Gentiles the name of God is blasphemed out there because of us I won't take the time to go to 1 Corinthians we need to move on next number two it identifies us Listen now, it identifies us, and I don't know, when I say this, I don't know if you'll understand how detestable this is to God, but it identifies us with false prophets. Yes, number one, it identifies us with unsaved Gentiles, but number two, it identifies us with false prophets. You you should be in 2 Peter still. And look at verse 1. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. And drop down to verse 14. Okay, now remember the context here. Speaking of false prophets, look at this. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin now guys gals I just got to tell you this is describing false prophets it sounds a whole lot like lay scene, Christians Have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin some of you men know what I'm talking about you keep telling yourself you keep telling yourself you're gonna stop this you know it's wrong you don't abhor it you don't detest it yet but you keep telling yourself you're gonna deal with this you know what can't cease from it can you it's a stronghold It's characteristic of false prophets. I, I venture to say, Amen. you're going to need to be real, real honest with me here. I, I would venture to say that 99% of Laodicean Christians, fifth, the verse 14, have eyes full of adultery, cannot cease. from sin. Now, this is not a, La- a typical Laodicean church. So here, the number would probably be about 90%. And I know some of you ladies are thinking, Oh, no. Yeah. And you need to understand that, ladies. That's what's going on around you. Eyes full of adultery cannot cease from sin we got time to talk sure we do we don't have to leave to one just kidding kinda you know what this is not a legalistic church when I say legalistic church, what I'm talking about is that we've we we've labored to not set up an external standard. Now, this is how you dress. This is how you wear your hair. These are the places we'll go, and these are the places we won't go. We, we've tried real desperately not to do that. Now, a lot of churches lay those trips on people, and what happens is people conform and get into that box and do everything that they're supposed to do and don't do everything they're not supposed to do on the out. and they never learn the Spirit's voice. And so we want to teach people to walk in the Spirit and to know the the voice of the Spirit. And so we don't put those legalistic trips on people. And you see, years ago, you know, when people came to church, there was a little little catchphrase that people had. When you go to church, you wear your, your Sunday best. You know why you wore your Sunday best? Because we were in the industrial age in America, and most people either worked on a farm or they worked in a factory, and they had work clothes, and then they had their Sunday best. They didn't have the clothes that you're wearing right now. Casual clothes. It was pretty much you either working, sleeping, or churching, you know? That's the way it was in the industrial age. And now we've moved into the uh, information age. And so most people aren't working on a farm anymore. And a lot of folks around here do work in factories. It wouldn't even be the majority here. And so you go to work in the same kind of clothes you're wearing here. And most of the men in this room, this is a pretty conservative crowd, wouldn't even own a suit. You know? We're getting ready to have our pastor's conference, and it's going to be real easy to tell who the pastors are it's all the guys that are dressed like me this morning and you know why i do it not because this is the holy garb that you wear when you proclaim the word of god because i don't think that jesus was wearing this trash you know what i don't think he said you know what i'm getting ready to do the sermon on the mount got to go change the robe." you know no that's it's it's senseless and you know what kind of came with that whole thinking is you know you dress up on sunday when you come into the house of god to worship you You certainly would put on your best clothes to worship God, wouldn't you? Well, what kind of came with that is that you take God off with your Sunday best, you know, and you get back to real life when you wear regular clothes, and now we're holy, you know, because we walked into the church now. And, And so, you know, what we've been trying to do around here for years is teach people, you know what, he doesn't want you to just worship on Sunday morning. He wants you to worship on Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, every day, all day. The Father seeks such to worship Him. Now, does that mean every time you're going to worship Him, you go get on your Sunday best? No. But in the name of, you know, what we have around here, the come-as-you-are approach and the we don't want to be legalistic, there's liberty in Christ. Listen, in the name of our liberty in Christ, ladies, some of us have moved out of liberty in Christ and right on into another arena. This is a good time of year to talk about it. It's still cold outside. We moved out of the arena of liberty in Christ and we have moved into immodest apparel. And all the men said, L- "Last year, oh no, it was two years ago at the pastors' conference. Spring came early. You remember, the, what, the, all the trees out front got white real early. Weather got nice during a spring Bible conference. Pastor comes in, easily noted, Babylonish garment. <laughs> one, one of our one of our shepherd school students came up and introduced himself, and just kind of chit chatting and." And he's, the pastor says, you know, people are dressed pretty casual around here. So the, the shepherd school student took this occasion to help our brother along and you know, said, uh, well, you know, what we tried to emphasize here is that God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward. And, and so we, we try not to set up, uh, you know, those legalistic external standards. Anybody disagree with that? I mean, that's, that's perfect. Great answer. And the guy was fine with that. Yeah, that's cool. Sunday night, here comes a Shepherd School student walking in, looking for a place to sit. And he notices that this guy has already taken his seat several rows, or several seats in the row. And so here comes one of our ladies, wearing, wearing shorts. Cut up to where her legs change names. Walks into the pew. While they, okay, the, the, the guy's sitting right there, and here she is, and introduces himself. Wh- wh- her, and pops down next to him. and The Shepherd School student says, "I was embarrassed for us. I don't want to. I don't want to create legalistic boxes for First Baptist Church. But now, listen." I don't want us to get so free that we've moved into immodest apparel, ladies. You know what? Men in this culture got a battle Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Everywhere they look, they enter into this battle zone. How about on Sunday we we give them a break? Okay? And that our sisters in Christ don't walk around this building flaunting your body. Would it help you to know that 2 Peter 2.14 is characteristic of Laodicean men, eyes full of adultery? Is that what you want? Is that why you dress that way? I I, I hope, to my soul, it's not. You need to understand, men are sick. And all of the men said, we're all a bunch of stinking sickos. Does that help you to understand? And and some of you are going to go and say, well, I think he's a perv. Well. You know what? If your, if your husband tells you that, ladies, check in with about ten honest men. Thank you. Now, I, I, you know what? Oh, man. Don't want to be legalistic. But let, let me just kind of help you with immodest apparel. Thigh is immodest. You see, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Thigh is immodest. Upper chest is immodest. and Anything that forms to your body is immodest. Did I describe it, men? Okay, so let us help you, ladies, okay? We're not trying to, to, to draw a legalistic standard for it. And I, I know this makes you uncomfortable. It makes us real uncomfortable when you do those things. Give us a break, would you? This is where we come to worship God. And if you can justify that out somewhere, do it. But, oh, let's don't do that here. But this is characteristic of false prophets. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 20, you know what God said to do with false prophets? Kill them! Some of us lay out of sea and men deserve to be killed. And then we'll turn to the last one, and I'll, I'll try not to meddle. Now that's about as close as a box as you're ever going to have around here. And I, you know what? To be just straight up with you, I don't. I don't think it's a box. I'm just telling you. I just you you walk back into into Jesus' day, and ladies walk up to him and stand next to him as somebody that's been born again while he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, wearing what we sometimes wear here. Yikes! A great rule of thumb: dress for your husband. And I'm not talking about your earthly one. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because you've been espoused to him as your one husband. You you just you dress for him, and you'll be all right in here. <clears throat> Romans chapter one. It identifies us with another group of people. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 talks about people who are filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Again, sounds like lay out of seeing Christians. You know who this passage is describing? Look in the middle of verse 28. The passage is describing people God has given over to a reprobate mind. Those are the people, verse 29, who are filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, and maliciousness. And listen, for believers to continue in sexual sin identifies us with reprobates. That's number three. And would you look at what it says? Filled. Filled with unrighteousness. Filled with fornication and wickedness and covetousness. You know what? If you just go through... You're going to have to write quickly. This isn't on there either. If you go through the Word of God, what you begin to see is the Bible tells us that our believers to be filled with some things. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, it tells us to be filled with joy and peace. In Romans 15, 14, it tells us to be filled with all knowledge. In Ephesians 3, 19, it tells us to be filled with the fullness of God. In Ephesians 5, 18, it tells us to be filled with the Spirit. In Philippians 1, 11, it tells us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness and Colossians 1.9 tells us to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what we're to be filled with. Listen, reprobates. Those God has given over to a reprobate mind are those that are filled with lust and fornication. Let me just assure you of something, folks. You cannot be thinking about God and filled with the fullness of God and all the other things that we talk about at the same time you're thinking about fornication uncleanness covetousness and maliciousness L- look back in verse 25 this passage is describing people who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served watch this now the creature more Then the Creator, and I'm telling you, that's Laodicea. I mean, if you were to take the amount of time that most men spend thinking about things in the sexual realm, and you calculated that time, and then you took the time that most most men spend worshiping the Creator, in a week's time, and you know what you'd find out? We serve the creature more than the creator. Now, I'm just, now You don't nod or shake or scream or anything else, man. L- listen, just think about it. In the last week, and we've been pressing this button for a little while, in the last week, did you spend more time lusting or more time worshiping? scaring, all the while, claiming to be Christians. Y- you know what that's called? Just what it says in verse 25. That's changing the truth of God into a lie. Because the truth of God is that that kind of behavior is what's characteristic of Unsaved Gentiles, not believers in Christ. Of false prophets, not people in whom the spirit of truth dwells. That's characteristic of of reprobates, not people who have a spiritual mind because of what has taken place by being born again. The reason we keep hitting this button, y'all, This is Laodicea. And as we've said so many times, God keeps revealing more and more truth to us so that we'll be something other than a Laodicean. And the time has come, y'all, to where we so let the Spirit of God through the Word of God jolt us to where we begin listen, where we begin to detest lasciviousness the covetousness of sex fornication uncleanness and all of that stuff that goes in that whole cesspool it's time that it become deplorable to us, that we abhor it the way that God abhors it and I promise you, when we do, we'll deal with it. But until you see it the way that God sees it, till you call it what God calls it, till you agree with God about it, not in word, but in heart, we'll continue to confess it week after week after week, convincing ourselves we're all right, while at the very time we're vexing our righteous soul, while we're destroying our righteous soul. Let's bow our heads. And I would like to give you just a second to be able to talk to the Lord. And I... Would you please take advantage of this time right now to confess your sin and cry out to God to help you to see this sin the way that He sees it and call it what He calls it, feel about it the way that He feels about it? Would you ask Him this morning to help you to detest it, to abhor it, to make it a a cursed thing in you so that you'll begin to deal with this thing biblically and be cleansed? From all unrighteousness. Now, believers, would you just tone, tune me out for a second? Some of you have been doing that all morning. But would you just tune me out for just a second? You just keep talking to God if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ. Oh, listen. We've done such a bad job of, as as Christians in this last day, of portraying who Christ is. But He is holy. And He cannot coexist with sin. And yet the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. And yet, in our sin, God still loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us. So God, in his love, came to this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. God in a human body. And he came for the purpose of taking your sin off of you. So that he could give you his righteousness. Because the God of this universe that created you wants to have A personal love relationship with you and that can happen for you today I I know that today we didn't talk about your specific need to to be to have your sin removed but now listen that is your greatest need this morning and if God has convicted you because of sin today there is a refuge there is a place to go there is a place to take that to God himself not a church not, not a ritual, but to God himself, you can bring that. And you can receive his forgiveness today. Our, our pastors are going to remain at, at the front of uh, this room, uh, up by the doors uh, on your right and, and on your left. And, and they are positioning themselves there. For those of you that God is, is speaking to today about your need to receive Christ, And we invite you to come if God's speaking to you. The Bible says, today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Oh, listen! If God is speaking to you today, don't resist His voice. What, he, what God says is you you'll harden your heart. If God's speaking, be pliable to Him and respond to His love to you this morning. And Lord, would You please save the lost in this room today? And would You please help us lay out a scene to be something other than what you said is characteristic of us. Oh Lord, convict us so deeply of our sin that we will repent and turn and abhor and detest any acquaintance with what was at one time characteristic of most of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.